Father, we come before you this morning uh, desperate um, for you to show up and continue to show up powerfully in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. And so, Lord, I pray as we appear into your word this morning, as we open our Bibles to Psalms, that you would speak to us and you would transform us, you would change us, you would show us more of who you are by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, let us not just go through this time flippantly or casually, but let us hear your living word and be moved by it um, into the image of Jesus. We love you. It's for his name we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. We are studying the book of Psalms this summer. And our hope and our desire as we walk through any book of the Bible here at the Parks Church uh, is this, is to uh, see Jesus more clearly, is to be overwhelmed by his grace and his mercy. And we're doing that walking through Psalms. We are not uh, walking through uh, Psalms 1 through 150. We are taking selected Psalms to kind of survey them. And we do this typically in the summer, whether we're in the Proverbs or the Psalms, uh, to look and examine and allow them to, uh, like we say around here, uh, read our lives. And so psalms have been a beautiful anthem for our souls. I mentioned last week that uh, all the scriptures uh, speak to us, but the psalms uniquely speak uh, for us. And so in this uh, crazy season in our our country and in in the the time and space where we live, uh, the psalms are a beautiful anthem for us uh, when oftentimes beauty can be uh, really hard to to find. And so this morning we are going to go to uh, Psalm 110. And uh, why Psalm 110? Well, We want to teach a variety of psalms. There are different psalms uh, throughout the 150, uh, written mostly by uh, King David, psalms of lament, which will cover psalms of of ascent, and then ones that are um, fewer and far between, like Psalm 110, prophetic psalms. And uh, obviously, all of Scripture points to Jesus, but there are specific psalms that are so explicit about him and and, and about his future coming, the reality in which we live as New Testament uh, Christians. But Psalms 110 is actually the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament. And, and very few people are familiar with this psalm. So I wanted this morning for us to walk through Psalm 110. It's, it's, it's quite deep and rich, right? Like the, the image that I get is it's this sponge that is absolutely just full and soaking uh, with water. And so I want us to wring out a little bit in our time here this morning. We won't have, have, have enough space to wring out the whole thing, but we'll, we'll wring out um, as much as we can. So let's read Psalm 110. It's only seven verses. And so it begins in, in verse 1. It says, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the whole, over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his 
head. All right, so let's jump into this psalm, and, and so we're going to walk through it uh, verse by verse. There are three main uh, parts to this, three main moments, if you will, in, in this psalm, and we need to remember what a psalm is. It's a, it's a prayer that is meant to be sang, so it, it is a, a, a song, right, type, and so I'll keep referencing that, thinking about um, this as a, a prayer song, if, if you will, and so let's start in verse 1. And we have to start with the very top. It says a psalm of David. So right out of the gate, we know who the author of this psalm is. It's King David, right? Like he writes over half of the psalms explicitly and maybe even more than that. But this is a psalm from David. In verse 1, this is so important. He says this. He says, the Lord says to my Lord. Okay, so if you have your Bibles or you can see the, the text on the screen, it's capital L-O-R-D, right? All caps. And so this is the official name of God, right? Like this is his um, personal name, right? Where he talks to Moses and discloses himself in the Old Testament where he says, I am, right? That's his name. Yahweh is another name as well. And so it says, Yahweh says to my Lord. And now the, the word Lord here is... Is capitalized, but it's not all caps. And so this is a different Lord. And this is a term that has been used uh, for, for earthly kings um, as well. But what is uh, actually being said here? And, and this is actually something we covered in the, the book of Acts. And so like I said, that this is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, not because there's one verse in Psalm 110 that's quoted over and over, but there are different parts throughout these seven verses that are continually being brought up about Jesus in the New Testament. And so that's why we really need to get a grasp on what's being said here uh, in Psalm 110. But Peter uses verse 1 uh, in Acts, in the book of Acts. And so he's saying that Yahweh says to my Lord. And so this, this is not David. It's not talking about King David, that Yahweh is saying to David. David is saying this not as, as king even or as, as, as poet, but he's saying this, and this is one of the characteristics of David that is often lost. David is actually saying this psalm, writing this psalm, prophetically. David was a prophet. Uh, Peter, again, in the New Testament, tells us that, that, that David was a prophet. And this is, this is prophecy. So Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Is this talking about David? No, it's not talking about David. This is talking about someone else, someone else who sits at the right hand of Yahweh. You see, the word sit here signifies a, a, a finished work. Like you sit down when the work is finished in this idea at the end of verse 2 is, is that he sits at the right hand. This place of the right hand is the place of, of authority, the place of honor. And he says, and I will put you there until I make your enemies your footstool, until your enemies are absolutely and utterly destroyed. And so here, here's where we need to think about this as, as a song, and, and even in our literal context, right? Songs, um, they trigger memories, right? They trigger thoughts of people or places, right? I, I, I can remember growing up anytime, even now to this day, I hear two artists, right? Whitney Houston or Alanis Morissette, I think of 
riding with my older sister in her 1990-whatever white grandam with maroon cloth interior with that funky smell. Like, anytime I hear either one of those artists, that's what it takes me back to, right? That's what, that's what songs do. They, they trigger those thoughts. Maybe for you, it's, 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 it's worship songs that, that, that trigger different thoughts and different seasons or, or, or places where, where you were, right? Uh, the, the song, uh, God of the City, is an anthem that we sang when we started this church. I mean, it was like we sang it like weekly. You're the God of the City, right? Like that, that's the song. It triggers that, that moment where we were at, at Heritage Church when we first started or, or even back to like when I was a student at student camp and, and, and the songs we used to sing there and the moments, the unique moments and special moments had with the Lord there, right? They, they trigger this. Okay, so, so thinking about this psalm and the Israelites who would have prayed and sang this song, this verse would have triggered in them a thought all the way back to 2 Samuel about King David, where the Lord says, and, and we can look at it if you have your Bibles in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 16, about this person that sits at the right hand of Yahweh. It says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne or your kingdom shall be established forever. So this is not just about David. This is about someone whose kingdom and reign shall be forever. And so this is triggering for the mind of the Israelite. Every time they think about it, there is there's this thought of this coming king, this forever king that will come and his enemies will be defeated forever. In verse 2, look at it. It says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Again, this forever king that's promised. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the wound of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. So the, 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 the people and the soldiers, if you will, of this kingdom are going to be numerous, are going to be clothed, clothed with these new garments. It's, it's this idea, and, and hear me, it's this idea that this army has to be born again. And there will be multiple, and they will spread out in your power, your authority which comes from heaven. Your, your power will go out, king, in them. This is what Peter is bringing up, in fact, in the book of Acts, that the authority and power comes from heaven, but it is sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit through the people. That's what Psalm 110.3 is speaking about, about how this forever king will rule and reign and, and, and pervade the, the culture and the world that we know. It will be through his people. You see, what we have the advantage of is looking into the New Testament. Jesus himself uses Psalm 110 in front of the religious leaders who rejected this idea, who were well acquainted with Psalm 110. Jesus is going, listen, I'm the one from the line of David. I'm the forever promised king. So the first part of Psalm 110, it points to the forever king being Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the promised king from the Psalms. And so Listen, we'll, we'll keep going because this whole psalm is going to lay out these different characters and natures of who Jesus is. And so verse 4, it says that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
uh, right? No, no questions here, right? We're all clear of, uh, about the priest Melchizedek, right? You know, no, no, we're not, right? There, Melchizedek is an interesting character, and if you were in our men's or women's Bible study going through Genesis, uh, you'll know this, but probably if, if you didn't study or haven't studied uh, Genesis or looked uh, at the book of Hebrews with much intent, like you don't, you're not familiar with it. Melchizedek is only mentioned three times. In Genesis 14, we're introduced to him when, when, when he, he comes before Abram, and we'll see that here in just a second. And then he's brought up again talking about Jesus in Hebrews. And so this prophetic psalm is about a not just a forever king and Messiah that's coming, but it's also about this Savior who will be our priest, our permanent and perfect priest. That is Jesus. So I want us here just for a second to, to understand who Melchizedek is and how it points to Jesus, because if not, we will not understand the prophetic nature of what David is writing about in this psalm. And so uh, Genesis 14, here's what I want to look at. If you have your Bible, click, uh, just flip over there real quick. Genesis, it's easy one to find, first one in, in your Bible. And look at verse uh, 18. And so this is as Abram has just uh, defeated, right? Father Abraham, like Abram, his name is Abram at this point. He comes before Melchizedek, giving him um, 10% of everything because Melchizedek is, is interesting. It says that he's a king and a priest, a very rare uh, dynamic there. And so look in verse 18, however, what Melchizedek brings before him. And it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to Abram. Wine and bread. We're going to celebrate this at the end, but I want you to think about that. This high priest, this king high priest brings before Abram this gift. You see, the writer of Hebrews would also bring up Melchizedek in this way, right? The only other time outside of Psalm 10 that he's brought up. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem priest of the Most High God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. This is talking about Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. So we have, he's king of righteousness, he's king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. So get this. When the psalmist writes, when David writes here about Melchizedek, he is saying this about the future king, that he is also the king of righteousness. He's the priest and king. He is the king of Salem, which means he is the king of peace. That's Melchizedek. But Jesus is is the fulfillment of all of those things. And that's why he says, this will be the forever king who comes through this line, who will be the fulfillment of what we know in Melchizedek, the one who brings the bread and the wine. And then Hebrews 7, to finish, says this about Jesus. Jesus, who is the guarantor as the perfect and permanent priest of a better covenant than Melchizedek. He says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That is what Psalms 110 is pointing to, that Jesus is the perfect and permanent priest, that Jesus, who is holy in 
innocent and perfect, is also alive forevermore, saving and working. Listen, as sinners, we need someone to mediate, right? To be between us and God, between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And Jesus is the one at the Father's right hand with all authority, mediating for us. Psalm 110 is not just saying that he's king, but he's also priest, and he is perfect, and he is permanent as that role. All right? So we're not done yet. The end of Psalm 110. Look at this, verse 5 through 7. This is the, the last picture. So we see Jesus as king at the beginning. We see Jesus as perfect and permanent priest. And now we will see Jesus as the powerful warrior. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the, the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Okay, so what's interesting here is verse um, verse five. It says, "The Lord is at your right hand." Right, Yahweh. There is someone at your right hand. We know that is Jesus. So this guy is God, and he drinks verse seven from the brook. So he's God, and he's also drinking from a literal brook. He's God, and he's man. A hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. This is talking about Jesus Christ, that he was 100% God so that he satisfied the, the payment that God requires. No one else could. He was man so that he could be our payment to God. And so Jesus' tactics as a warrior, what's described here in Psalm 10, really are twofold. You see, in Jesus' or the Messiah's first advent, we know how he came, right? Think of the Christmas story. He came lowly, meek, and mild, right? Not to overthrow governments, not to overthrow political parties. Um, he came to overthrow the greatest enemy of our souls named sin. He came to drink the cup of wrath, which we are responsible for in turning and defeating our greatest enemy, sin, Satan, and death. And then in doing so after his first advent, we know in the book of Acts that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, exactly what Psalm 110 tells us he would do. However, what we need to realize is that there's going to be a second advent. We can see and we can read about the first advent, but we can turn to Revelation to see a future advent, the second advent, where he doesn't come with meekness and humility, but he comes in power and glory and majesty and finality. That's what the second advent comes from this victorious warrior. That's a picture of Jesus. Psalm, Psalm 110 is such a vivid picture of who our Savior is. He's king, right? He's ruler. He is over all. He is priest. He is the one interceding before the Father on our behalf. He is the guarantor of the covenant made with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is a victorious warrior. Right? Jesus is the king who came as a servant. He is the one high priest who himself came as the sacrifice. And Jesus is the powerful, victorious warrior who gave his life up to rescue you. And that is the good news. If you want to know what the gospel is, just regurgitate that statement. But so what? Right? So, so all of those things are true. Uh, how does that help you and I tomorrow? Right, like, how does that help us when we are immersed 
in the culture of this world? Like, how does that help us out? How, how does that help me when I'm struggling uh, with an addiction? How does that help me when I, I lose my job, when, when I fly off the handle uh, in, in anger, or when my, my marriage is struggling, or when my child is, is far off from the Lord, or, or as we walk collectively through things like racial injustice, or we face a, a global pandemic? How, do th- how does this reality in Psalm 110 about who Jesus is really change us? Why, what, do the truths of 110 really matter or, or help? Listen, God gives us Psalm 110, and David, I think, prophetically speaks Psalm 110 to knock down what's been called before the, the unholy trinity, something we talked about here, the greatest enemies we face day after day, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, Right? Like these truths in Psalm 110, this song should be, when we walk through this life, this psalm should be one we keep turning back to for confidence. We keep coming back to these truths to be sure. Because listen, if Jesus really is the promised king, then we fight against the world, not with a king who, 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 who is absent, not with a king who is fleeting or, 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 or with a king who is who is distant, but we, we fight with a king that is permanent, that is established, that no matter what circumstances we were in, we know that we are under the rule and reign of the perfect and good king, and his name is Jesus. And so we can have confidence walking in, in this world and in this life where we don't face battles and trials and tribulations against flesh and blood, where we fight against a much deeper enemy. But we can do that with the confidence because we can trust that Jesus is king. Right? We can fight our flesh because we realize that we have a perfect, perfect and permanent priest, and his name is Jesus. That the sins that I have committed, the sin that plagued my life, have been forgiven, and in the future, the sins that I'm going to continue to struggle with have been forgiven by our perfect high priest. Right? This is where we get the confidence of Romans 7, where Paul goes, listen, I still find myself doing what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do. Right? And he goes, but I have the confidence to continue to pursue the things of God because I understand his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, this perfect and permanent priest, that in Jesus, I am free and forgiven. Your shame, your guilt, it's gone because Jesus is the perfect payment for your sin. That is his priestly role. That is what he does as savior for you. There's freedom and there's forgiveness in Jesus. Listen, that's the good news. And last, it fights, fights this idea of, of the devil, right? If, if Jesus is the powerful warrior, then we know that victory has been won and victory will be final one day, right? So when we feel this spiritual warfare, when we face Satan and his powerful schemes, we know that Jesus is victorious. We know that the, the warrior, king, priest that we serve called Jesus, that in the end, he wins, that the final victory is his. This is our hope, church. This is our, our one singular anthem, that Jesus is victorious, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is our perfect and permanent priest. So listen, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're walking through right now, all of these truths speak to the reality of where you are. Right? May, may this morning through Psalm 110, maybe a very unfamiliar psalm to you, but a very familiar psalm historically in our New Testament, may you see and in love and adore Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. And so it's with that that as we even read about 
the bread and the wine, I want us this morning to take communion together, right? So hopefully you've prepared the elements or you can hit pause, but we're going to take the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, the one who we just talked about so explicitly and so in such great detail. We're going to do this remembering and drawing near to him with confidence in him. And so the Bible tells us to do this every time in remembrance of Jesus. And so we take the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus Christ this morning, remembering that his broken body gives us the victory. And so let's take the body together. And in the same manner and way, we take the cup, the cup which the Bible tells us represents the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the new covenant, right? We are saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It washes over our sins that he was the sacrifice for us. And so we draw near to him through this. And so let's take the cup. And the fitting response after communion is worship. And so let's worship right here in your homes, wherever you are, in prayer and thankfulness. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. I thank you for these deep places in Scripture that are sometimes so so often missed, God, that you just illuminate. It, to, to my heart, you just illuminate and you show me your son in a, a clearer, more vivid way, God, so that I might be drawn to him, that I might be have, have confidence and joy in him regardless of my circumstances. And Lord God, even that I can take the bread and the juice this morning uh, with my faith family as we draw near to you through Christ. The only way we can is because of Christ. Lord God, I worship you. I thank you for that. And so, Lord, I pray this week that when our minds wonder, when our hearts wonder, we might even run back to Psalms 110 and read it and remind us that you are king, that you are perfect and permanent priest, and that you are the victorious warrior. And so we can have confidence moving forward and living by your grace, living in rhythms of your grace, so that this watching world might know who you are. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this community of faith. I thank you for the journey you have us on. Now may we live faithfully for you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Church, we love you. Have a great week.